Hello, I'm Phil Gibson and welcome to Biota. I hope everyone's doing well and staying safe out there. One year ago, the Biology Through Audio podcast, also known as Biota, launched with its goal being to explain the science behind some of the biology that we experience every day. At that time, the primary focus of the podcast was the SARS-CoV-2 virus that had plunged the world into a pandemic that we're still dealing with now. You can listen to episode one to get a broad overview of the virus, how it infects individuals, and other basic background information. Since the pandemic began, we've lost over 4 million family members, friends, and colleagues to this disease. Everyone has experienced disruptions in practically every aspect of life. A year ago, we were waiting for news of a vaccine as we continued to isolate, socially distance, wear masks, and take other meaningful actions to limit the spread of the disease until we had the necessary tools to fight it. There were successes, like declines in disease transmission once we learned how to slow the spread, declines in mortality as treatments and therapies for the sick were developed, and best of all, the availability of at least three vaccines in the United States and other vaccines worldwide to combat this disease. But there have also been some setbacks, like the unfortunate resistance by some to even the simplest of scientifically supported public health-based interventions that have been successfully used in the past. You can listen to episode seven of the podcast to learn about similarities between the current COVID-19 pandemic and the flu pandemic that struck in 1918. But getting back to this episode, Failure to effectively implement public health interventions have had the predictable consequences of allowing this virus to hang around and continue to evolve and change to exploit our weaknesses and infect more hosts. That's why our current concern is not just the SARS-CoV-2 virus in general, but the Delta variant and the variants that will inevitably come next. You see, they represent the outcomes of viral evolution that brought us this virus to begin with and dictate how long and in what form it will persist. That's just simply how biological evolution works. So, on this one-year anniversary of the podcast, let's consider what we know, what we've learned, where we're at, and where it looks like we're going with this virus and the disease it causes. The title of this episode is Virus, Vaccines, and Variants. So let's start with the first V, virus, and briefly reacquaint ourselves with the SARS-CoV-2 virus and summarize some of the important things we've learned about it. Now, SARS-CoV-2 is a type of coronavirus. Molecular analyses indicate that this virus is genetically similar to and therefore shares a close evolutionary history with other bat-derived coronaviruses. This strongly indicates a zoonotic origin for the virus at some level. Coronaviruses are characterized by a viral envelope that surrounds the single-stranded viral RNA, and this envelope is covered with glycoproteins that are commonly called spike proteins, and they give the virus an appearance that some say resembles a crown. The spike proteins attach to specific receptors on animal cell membranes called ACE2 receptors to gain entry into a cell. ACE2 receptors are found on many epithelial cells of the respiratory, circulatory, digestive, and other systems of the human body. Once inside a cell, the viral RNA uses the cell's proteins and enzymes to take over the cell and begin replicating. This viral infection can then trigger different immune responses in the host. Some individuals can be asymptomatic or show very mild symptoms, 
while others who are immunocompromised, suffer from respiratory or heart diseases, have other medical conditions, or even perfectly healthy individuals can develop severe symptoms leading to pneumonia, coma, and then, unfortunately, even death. When the disease first emerged, older individuals were at the greatest risk of contracting severe cases. But as we are discovering now, the virus is changing and beginning to infect younger individuals than it did a year ago, and it's causing more serious illnesses in them. Other changes are also occurring in the virus as it continues to circulate and evolve, which are making it a more challenging problem to address and something that we are likely to be dealing with for many years into the future. That brings us to the second and third V's in the title, vaccines and variants. To help explain how the vaccines that have been developed to fight the SARS-CoV-2 virus work and why we have all these new variants of the SARS-CoV-2 virus to contend with, I've asked Dr. Carlos Goller, an associate professor at North Carolina State University, to speak with us. He's conducted research in pediatric diseases, and he currently teaches in and directs the NCSU Biotechnology Program. Hello, Dr. Goller, and thank you for joining Biota today. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you. Uh, thank you for, for allowing me to be on this. I've been listening to your podcast for a while now and excited to get to interact. Let's dive into this. We're going to talk about viruses and vaccines and, and variants. And so we'll start here. If you would, please explain in a general sense what a vaccine is. So I'm a microbiologist and I, I look at it from the perspective of the microbes and the viruses out there. And when you think about our body, our body has a built-in defenders and they are cells that recognize these uh, bad invading, um, in this case, microbes or viruses, but we have to train them. And what vaccines do, they basically provide the blueprint to train or to prime our immune system to learn about and recognize, in many cases, the organisms that cause human harm or disease. And so with the, the COVID-19 pandemic, I, I think it's amazing that they have been able to come up with these vaccines so quickly, and it's a type of vaccine they call an RNA vaccine. So what is an RNA vaccine? Okay, so if we go back to our central dogma of molecular biology, we have DNA that gets transcribed into mRNA. And whereas DNA is the blueprint we keep in a safe and we really protect it, the mRNA is our working copy that then gets translated into proteins, many times the enzymes that perform functions. The mRNA vaccines are a really neat way of introducing the working copy of, the, for example, maybe a spike protein on a virus on surface and using delivery mechanisms such as nanoparticles to encase these mRNA molecules that we make. So we can create mRNA molecules that are the specific transcript of that spike protein. 
and we can deliver it into cells so that the cells can directly start making the proteins that will then be taken up by immune cells um, to start basically strengthening our system and protecting it against circulating viruses that have that spike protein. And so this is, it sounds like it's different from other types of vaccines, which give either a weakened or an attenuated form of the, the virus. This time they're just putting in part of the viral genome. Is that it? Yes. And the part that they are putting in is, is not, for example, a, a DNA part. This is the mRNA, messenger RNA, and for a segment of, for example, the spike protein, they are able to make lots of it and encapsulate it in a way that they can be delivered to cells more efficiently. So it's not the virus. It's not a live or attenuated virus. It's, it's a part of it. And so it's not going into the, the nucleus and changing the DNA in any way, right? No, it's not. And uh, what's even better is that it, it's a really efficient way of um, making lots of copies of the protein we want to boost our immune cell recognition and production of antibodies with a small product, with, with an RNA transcript, RNA molecules. So it seems like this is a tremendous advancement, but... Is this something that, that came up recently, or is this a technology that we've known about for a while? It's a technology that we've known about for a while and has been developed and improved. And we've had this pressing issue, a global pandemic, that helped propel this technology better. Um, companies had mechanisms for delivery, mechanisms for large-scale safe clean production of a defined RNA sequences. And it all came together really quickly. And it's not something new. Let's turn our attention now to the virus itself. And a term we've been hearing a lot is variant. What is a viral oh, variant? So we'll go back to the central dogma. And we, we have DNA getting transcribed um, by an enzyme. RNA polymerase transcribes it into RNA. But these polymerases are not perfect. And um, viruses make mistakes. And we have viruses that are able to uh, make lots and lots of copies of themselves, of their um, nucleic acids. And these may not be completely identical. You may have that polymerase making small mistakes, substitutions, or adding two A's instead of one. And these are the variants. And then we have a population of viruses, and some may take off in the sense that some may have, um, may be able to now infect better or our or reproduce faster and that's why those may become more frequent and so with these 
sort of mistakes that get made, sometimes it could be a, a change in that virus that allows it to get around our, our vaccines and the defenses yes. they present. So going back to our vaccine, if we design an mRNA vaccine using the mRNA for part of the spike protein of a virus, if, if that spike protein, if that sequence of the virus evolves and the spike protein changes enough that the new conformation is different from the one we are using to generate our vaccine, we may not get a robust immune response. So in that case, we may need to have boosters that address that variant. So that brings us to the last question I have here. And I was just wondering what you think is the current situation with the SARS-CoV-2 virus, do you think that it's going to be something like the flu where it becomes just a, an endemic virus in the population where booster shots and vaccinations may be a common part of just daily life? I, I tend to believe that will be the case. I think this is a virus that has now spread across the globe. And we have so many different variants, going back to the variants, that there will be some fluctuation in what's circulating out there and what people are vaccinated against, that there will be a, likely a need for us to think about who's vaccinated against this what is circulating. So that goes back to surveillance, not only of, of people and doing, doing, for example, COVID testing, but maybe wastewater treatment plants, other public sites and to get a better hold of what's going on with this virus that now is with us. Well, thank you very much for taking the time today to, to answer these questions and share that information with us. I hope that uh, as things go on, we can maybe have you back in on the podcast to answer some more questions. Oh, I enjoyed this. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you very much and have a great day. You too. Okay. Let's summarize what we've heard and distill the two main points from what we've covered. First, the central dogma of molecular biology is at the core of any consideration of a virus, vaccine, or a variant. Viruses invade cells and take over its cellular systems that control the processes of transcription and translation in gene expression so that instead of their normal function, the invading viral DNA or RNA directs these cells to make more virus particles. The RNA vaccines developed to fight the SARS-CoV-2 virus contain a piece of RNA that is delivered into cells where they will translate it like the viral messenger RNA sequence, but they make only the spike proteins of this coronavirus. It's important to realize that the RNA in the vaccine never enters the nucleus. Translation takes place in the cytoplasm of a cell, so the cell's DNA is not in contact with the vaccine RNA. Also, the vaccines contain only the RNA instructions to make the spike protein, not any other part of the virus, so it's not possible to get COVID-19 from the vaccines. And finally, the variants we are learning about are the results of mistakes that occur when infected cells are making more copies of the virus. 
Think of it being like a bad typist who makes mistakes frequently and doesn't check their work. Some of the mistakes, or mutations, that occur during viral replication result in non-functional or faulty viruses. But sometimes the mutations change the virus in a way that gives it the ability to do things a little bit differently, maybe a little better than the version of the virus it came from or other variants circulating in the population. These different versions of a virus are called variants. Successful variants spread and can dominate host populations through the action of natural selection. The longer a virus persists and circulates unchecked in a population, the greater the chances will be that a successful variant will evolve. The second point in this episode is that what we are observing, what we are all living through, is the process of evolution playing out in real time in front of us. Evolution is simply a change in the genetic makeup of a population. In this case, the population is all of the virus particles circulating in a group of host organisms. As new virus variants arise and change, some become better at infecting, some become better at evading our vaccine defenses, or maybe they can find a new group of vulnerable hosts to infect. The only way to stop it from continuing to persist and being an ongoing problem is to stop the virus from spreading and infecting new hosts where it has this chance to evolve. That's why vaccines and masks work. Clearly, some individuals can't take a vaccine. However, failure to accept and implement these measures by a large proportion of a population to fight this disease is the equivalent of trying to defy the power and actions of genetics and evolution, two of the most powerful biological forces that have ever acted on this planet. What's important to consider in this situation is that we get to decide whether those two forces will be tools that we can use to our advantage or whether we'll let the viruses use them for theirs. I'm Phil Gibson and this has been Biota. A huge thanks to Dr. Carlos Goller who joined us in this episode. I hope to have him back again. This episode was produced by me, Phil Gibson. You can find more information about Biota on my website, jphilgibsonlab.oucreate.com. And so as always, thanks for listening, have a great day, and take very good care of your genetic material. Biota is a production of Under the Juniper Studios. All opinions expressed are those of the author alone. Thank you.